everybody. Welcome back. It is Rise Network's exclusive Detroit sports podcast. Guys being dudes, episode number 50 here with my co-host, Danny Lusai. What's up, guys? And my producer, Keaton Carlson. Yeah, yeah. And today we are joined by a very, very special guest, Bryce Simon of the Pistons Pulse podcast and the Free Press. Bryce, start out. Where can the people find your stuff? Where can they find you on Twitter? How can they connect with you? First, thanks for having me back. This is the second time I've been on Guys Being Dudes. I had a great time the first time, and I'm excited to do another episode with you guys. You can actually find me at Motor City Hoops. Don't follow my personal account. I barely ever tweet from that one. Um, But the podcast is The Pistons Pulse, brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. And my co-host is the amazing beat writer, Omari Sankofa II. New podcast, only been out a little over a month, so go check that out after you listen to guys being dudes yeah look at that the guy just throws us in there that's why i love you bryce man it's such a good guy yeah, i appreciate right. it so let's start here i mean we're gonna be doing a pistons recap episode and you know i've seen the season record wise didn't go how we wanted it to but nevertheless we have seen our young players in in Cade cunningham and sadiq bay isaiah stewart and even killian hayes as of late I've just grown leaps and bounds over the 82 game season. We got like what, maybe five games left, four, four games left. Yeah. Four something games like that left now. So we're pretty much done here and we're just going to be going through what we liked, what we didn't like and, and what we're looking for those guys in the future next season. So l- let's go ahead and start out here. Let's start out with Killian Hayes, because this is a guy that was surrounded by a lot of controversy uh, people seem to either love him or hate him. I know my co-host to the right of me feels a certain way about him. <laughs> but as of late, he's been getting more minutes. He has sort of changed that offensive menta- mentality, and he's been being a lot more aggressive. And you're seeing that result in the stat line. He's scoring more. He, I mean, he had five steals last night against the Thunder. He was, he's been absolutely unreal as of late. So Bryce, what have you seen from Killian? Is it really, was it really just a matter of being more mentally tough and being like, Hey, I'm not going to get down on myself when I miss my first shot. And I'm going to go back there with the same mentality and keep going until I start hitting shots. Or is he changing something fundamentally to his game? No, I think it's all mentality. And I want to go back to, I think we all had too high expectations for this team to start the season. I'm the most guilty person out of anybody. I was like, you know, you look at this roster and maybe there's a play in chance. And like, obviously that was just irrational Pistons fans, which makes us the best fan base in the NBA. And that number one pick, you got to get excited. That's what I want to play. Hell yeah. Yeah. Like, and it's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. I feel like most people adjusted their expectations once we got into the season. And if it wasn't for the injury, I do think this team would have won a few more games, maybe not playing. Plus the East is really good, but Killian Hayes, I do think it's been a a change in mentality. He's aggressive looking to the, to score. And I think the thunder game and even a couple of games before that really showed that when he missed a shot, I always watch to see when his next shot attempt comes guys, because if you go back when he missed one, it was a few minutes, maybe not until the next game before he attempted another shot, he was driving to pass every time after that. And in that Thunder game, even in the Nets and Sixers games, you saw a different mentality. That Thunder game, we got a chance to see him essentially be the best player on the floor. And that was a cool little um, dynamic. That that was essentially a G League game. So I don't want to put too much stock in that. But I will say this. I watched him at Summer League. And he wasn't the best player in those summer league games last summer. So this has been an improvement to see him against the Thunder be the best player on the floor. Yeah, it seems like throughout the season, um, he was just kind of 
um, playing not so strong in the beginning of the season. And then once the season went on, he started breaking out of his shell a little bit more and more. Um, last night was a good reputation of him basically getting the ball and having everything run through him. And then he ended up breaking out of that shell when he was able to control the ball. Um, I just think that Killian um, is a really good playmaker. I think that that is like his main archetype when it comes to offense. I think that uh, Killian Hayes, though, it just seemed like he was just not putting up a lot of shots, like you were saying. So once he started putting up shots in this Thunder game and he was able to grasp the ball and, and have the ball rotate around him, he was able to break out of that shell. I just wonder, guys, if this is who he wants to be. Like, no, do, do you not want your number seven overall pick running the second unit? Probably not. But is that the role he wants? We all wanted to put him off ball next to Cade Cunningham, right? Because Cade Cunningham is that dude. And you're not going to take the ball out of Cade Cunningham's hands for probably anybody. Maybe this is what's best for Killian Hayes. Put him in the second unit. Let him run the second unit. Yeah, you can play Cade and him together in situations, especially if the shooting gets better in the offseason. I think he likes running the show. I think that's what he wants to do. And we always want guys to like fit into these roles. But if that's what he's done his whole life, that's what he's comfortable with. That's what he's most confident with. Bryce, is this, do you think this is sustainable for Killian? Yes, I, in this role, I do. Like, again, not, not what do we see? 25, 5, 5, and 5. How many of our fives that is? I the first, it was awesome, man. <laughs> the, the, the first guy to do it since Grant Hill. I don't think we're seeing that. Again, we do have to temper who he was playing against in that Thunder game. Like, I'm a basketball junkie, and I didn't know who some of those dudes were for the Thunder. So we do have to, you know, have that context. But, yes, I do think the things he's doing – he's a skilled player, guys. It's not like he sucks. When people try to tell me he shouldn't be in the league at all, I kind of push back a little bit. I still think his role is a very good second-unit point guard. Like, I just think that's who he is, and that's okay. And I, I I agree. And there's something that going back to the whole mentality thing, there was something about his body language, his demeanor that I could I could see it. You could see it on his face that he's an extremely talented player, but he is lacking that confidence. And we didn't see that last night against the Thunder. We saw apps and, and to quote Johnny Kane, you know, on the call for the for the Pistons, killer Hayes. He had that killer mentality <laughs> out there. And that is what what is allowing him to blossom into the player that we all believe that he can be. And now, of course, as you said, we're not going to be expecting 25, 5, 5, 5, 5, and 5, and however many fives it was. But just changing that offensive mentality to not get so down on yourself when you miss your first shot or you turn it over, you know, early in the game or something like that. And it, it's it's all about that mentality for Killian Hayes, I think. It just seems like he doesn't want to play that position of being on the bench and playing coming off as a six man because it just seems like he wants to be that guy that plays next to Cade and he wants to start. But it, it's like right now, the best thing he could be doing is coming off the bench and leading that second unit. And I don't think he wants to do that. And he carries and when he has to and they bench him and they don't play him a lot of minutes and the ball's not really at his it's like he doesn't have the ball in his hands it just seems like he just gets off his game and we don't see this kind of killing that we saw last night I just think last night, I can't help but want, he knew he was going to play 30, upwards of 30 
almost 40 minutes. I think they knew going into the game that Cade, Sadiq, and Isaiah weren't going to play but six or seven minutes. And so he knew the ball was going to be in his hands. He was going to play a ton of minutes. And that kind of frees your mind a little bit. Like, if I make a mistake, Coach Casey ain't taking me out because there's nobody to put in anyway. And so I do think that helps him. I agree with you a little bit, Danny. I think he wants to be a dude, a starter, all of that. But he can come off the bench and then finish games. We've seen him do it. I think he's finished more games in which he came off the bench, like the finished games in the fourth quarter, when he came off the bench than when he was starting. So just because he doesn't start doesn't mean he won't be in the best five-person lineup to finish games when this team's trying to win night in and night out. Yeah, I feel like, you know, he should try to be that sixth man. Ain't nothing wrong with coming off the bench, leading the second unit. Like, oh, no, it's it's one of the most important roles. I mean, yeah. you need you, you need, need a deep bench. To be good in the NBA, you need a good bench. Well, like when it comes to starting in the NBA, you like see Marvin Bagley is fighting for a starting position right now. Uh, and he's coming off the bench because as soon as Stewart comes in, he's uh, he ends up on the bench. And I need to see production that Marvin Bagley is giving us um, in order for you to actually start touching the starting lineup. And when it comes to Killian, he's not putting up this explosive game where he's putting up a really good stat line. And I think that he's one of those players that I can compare him to like maybe like a Lou Williams or maybe a Derek White where you're filling up the stat sheet and you're not only just putting up a shit ton of points. I think that Killian Hayes is just best position right now is being the sixth man. Um, and I don't think that he should be playing against or, or right next to Cade right now. Do you want to transition to Cade? Um, Real quick. I thought, I think the Derek White comparison is, is pretty decent. Like that's not a bad comparison with what he does with the Celtics. And I think the thing is, you brought up Marvin Bagley the third. He fits really well next to Cade, right? He helps showcase what Cade does well, gives him a lob threat, plays in the pick and roll. The thing with Killian is, if you want to, here's the thing: if you want to start on this Detroit Pistons team, you better be able to help Cade Cunningham. You better be able to play off Cade Cunningham because he everything starts there. And I just don't know that Killian does right now. What's the worst thing he does offensively? Shoot. And so if you're going to play next to Cade, that's what you have to be able to do or catch lobs or whatever it is. The best things Killian does is play with the ball in his hands. Well, now you're taking it out of Cade. So that's where the, I think the, it's going to be interesting, that dynamic still. So speaking of guys that play well with Cade Cunningham, obviously we, we just brought him up right there. Marvin Bagley got him in, in what seems to be right now an absolute steal of a trade. You know, you go back and you look at the film. I think it's very, very clear that the Kings were just not utilizing him correctly, just sticking him in the corner and being like, hey, Marvin. It was so bad. <laughs> it, it was really bad. And it, it speaks to just how horrendous the Kings are as a franchise. I mean, from the front office to the coaches, I mean, to the dude who wipes off the sweat off the court. I mean, seriously, they're just they do not know what they're doing. Thankfully for us and for Troy Weaver, he clearly capitalized on that. We send Josh Jackson and Trey Lyles to Sacramento, get Marvin Bagley, and he has been nothing short of basically amazing since he's gotten here, considering what we gave up for him, right? He has opened up our offense so much. He's given us, or given Cade that role threat that he desperately needed. And it's really just making the offense flow a lot better. And I, I also think what's crazy is that I do believe this Pistons team maybe not solely because of the acquisition of Bagley, but they started playing their best ball right around the time when he got to the team. I don't think that's a coincidence. So my question for you, and I know there's some contract, you know, issues. We'll say that. Do you think that we could 
we could work a deal out to get Marvin on this team long-term? And do you think he fits on this team long-term? I do. And I want it to be a long-term contract for Marvin Bagley III. I won't get into the weeds on this because Keith Smith, NBA, a, a must follow on Twitter if you guys don't. He is the salary cap guru for the NBA. And I had him back whenever I was doing Motor City Hoops. But he he broke it down on an episode. And the cap hold and all that stuff gets real complicated and the flexibility this offseason for the Pistons. I would rather them just sign Marvin Bagley III to like a three-year contract. Like not do the qualifying offer, just sign it and and however they go about that there's some nuance to it but yes I think he fits this team to go back to the Kings guys I did a breakdown when that trade happened I literally didn't know what he could do offensively because he really just stood in the corner remember Sekou and how everybody said he just got stuck in the corner that's what the Kings did to Marvin Bagley the third I was like put him in a pick and roll so I know what's coming like I want to know what we're going to get from this guy and I I was never able to see it sorry I know I'm getting worked up right now oh no no I love the it just seemed seemed like when Marvin Bagley was playing for the Kings that they were trying to run this like small ball scheme that like they were trying to do in Houston with PJ Tucker when they would stick him in the corner then he would shoot a bunch of threes in the corner. And the thing is that they wouldn't just never pass him the ball. And that was the problem. And they, he was never getting hope. It, it was, it was never, it, it was just, I'm pretty sure it was his most used play type was corner threes, which is just insane. Omari dropped a dunk stat and I don't have it off the top of my head. So go listen to the Pistons Pulse episode five, if you want it, but it was how many dunks Marvin Bagley, the thirds had in like his 18 games with the Pistons compared to 30 games with the Kings. And it was significantly more. And here's the thing. If nothing else, this man makes this team fun to watch. How many lobs does he catch every game? Like I know that it, and it does contribute to winning. The biggest question is defensively. And I just don't know. I just can't figure out. Is he a four? Is he a five? Is he going to switch ball screens? Is he going to drop coverage ball screens? I just haven't figured that out with him defensively yet. That That is the thing is that, and, and I'm okay with it because I think if you watch the Pistons on a nightly basis, and I know he's hurt right now, but it's clear that he is trying on defense. Oh yeah, yeah, he tries. The there. effort is there. Yes. Yeah, the skill just isn't there. You know, to transition though, you brought up switching. Probably one of the most switchable bigs in the league, Isaiah Stewart. He started out the year. I, I'm not going to say rough, but I just don't think we saw the improvement that we expected to see early on. Fair. Now, ever since the acquisition of Bagley, I feel like his game has kind of opened up a little bit more. He's been playing a lot better, a little bit more aggressively. And as of late, he's been shooting more threes. So where does, where does Stewart fit in this? Because, uh, you know, bringing on Bagley, a lot of people I feel like think that, you know, is he going to, is he going to take Stu's spot? Is he going to, you know, run him off the court? So what are you seeing? How, how does Isaiah Stewart and Marvin Bagley fit on this Pistons team? So I'll be honest. I don't think either of them are long-term starters for this team. I think both of them are really, really good bigs off the bench, but I'm okay if we go into next season with one of those guys being the starters. I don't think we have to like get every piece in this off season. So it's okay if, if Stu ends up starting next year or, or if it's Bagley, but speaking directly to Isaiah Stewart, one offensively, he's got to find something, whether it's the shooting, whether it's like just being a great screener, finishing, whatever it is, he's got to find a way to be a really good threat offensively defensively. And I just, I know I like to plug my stuff defensively. I just finished an article for Detroit bad boys. So check it out. Just looking at Isaiah Stewart's defense he, 
I, I don't watch enough of the other NBA games to know. I feel like he's an elite switchable big. An elite maybe too far. I don't know. I would have a hard time find, believing there's like 10 other bigs that do it better than this guy. He does it against everybody. Kyrie, KD, James Harden, like on down the line. Trey Young, we've seen it in the last week. That is valuable, valuable stuff on the defensive end, especially when this team is in the playoffs. Yeah, I don't see him... Um... I don't see him as a center uh, long-term for the Pistons because he is a little bit undersized, in my opinion. I think that if you throw him against Embiid or Jokic, that he's going to get babied. I'm sorry, but this is facts. Yeah. I think that yeah. if he is going to make a long-term role for the Pistons, I think that moving him to the power forward position is really, really smart move. I think that his size would be perfect. And, and, and he brings a lot of energy on defense, and that is his best attribute when it comes to his game is his defense and how much energy and intensity he brings to his game on defense. I think that he is a type of player that is not going to put up a huge stat line. You're going to see kind of like Draymond stat lines. Um, he's basically mostly just defense. But when it comes to the pick and roll, I think that, that he should be kind of like focusing on that type of the, uh, that area of the game because working with Cade Cunningham, you're going to be doing a lot of pick and rolls. It, let me, can I paint a scenario for you, Bryce? Absolutely. So we're seeing we're seeing Stu shoot a lot more as uh, from three these past few games. If he is a guy that can get that three ball up to let's say thirty three to thirty seven percent, and he's shooting maybe or maybe thirty seven is a little high, but whatever, and he's taking maybe two and a half, three of them a game. Do you think that could vault him into, because I know you say you think that he's going to be one of the better backup centers in the league. If he is to do that, do you think that could vault him into a starting, a long-term starting position? Maybe not with the Pistons, but just in general in the league? Yeah, so that's what I, I kind of alluded to, I guess, but didn't expand on. He's got to do something offensively that really generates production. And I know right now, and I love to highlight, what do they call it, the highway screen or whatever. Like, yeah. that's his... That's his thing in the pick and roll isn't to go catch a lob. It's to screen off his man so Cade Cunningham can get a bucket. Now, there's a whole aspect to that is you could qualify that as an assist. But the issue with like him and Marvin Bagley the third playing together is neither of them stretch the floor. So if you could tell me that you can put Isaiah Stewart in the corner and he can catch and shoot it or at least hold his defender or he can be in the ball screen and pop – that adds a whole nother dynamic that offensively it's like, okay, we can, we can utilize this guy. And he's not, cause I just feel like if the Pistons were to play a playoff game tomorrow, a team would scheme to really expose Isaiah Stewart's lack of ability to really contribute on the offensive end consistently. Okay. Okay. I like it. I like it. Let's transition to this guy, a guy that you know, a lot of people got some different opinions on him. Jeremy Grant, a very, very good player. And, you know, it, it was rough to start the year. You know, we thought that he was really taking the ball away from Cade, you know, not not passing. But at, down the line, we saw not only Cade and Jeremy play well together, but the three of them, Cade, Jeremy, and Sadiq Bey, start to really, really flow and mesh and play well together. Now, I know a lot of people expected, just about everyone in the NBA community, expected Jeremy Grant to be traded at the trade deadline this season. However, that didn't happen. Do you see us dealing Grant in the offseason? And 
considering how well, and I know they're kind of, you know, they're kind of like shut down basically um, from here on out because we only have four games left. So we're not really going to get a whole lot of them uh, the rest of the season. But do you think considering that how they've played lately that he is someone that can fit on this team long-term with Cade and with Sadiq? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's crazy to keep Jeremy Grant on this team going into next season. I think there's a world where it works. Now the world where it doesn't work is if you draft Jabari Smith, Jr. Paolo, even Chet, depending on where you think he's going to play Keegan Murray, Keegan Murray, you could probably bring off the bench, but I think if you draft those guys, you probably need to move Jeremy Grant. I know Danny and I disagree a little bit on this with Sadiq Bay. I don't think you can play big and play Sadiq Bay at the two. And I've been pretty adamant about this. Now people have thrown at me like, why not use Jeremy Grant then to go guard the perimeter? Like essentially play the two just in terms of defensively. I don't know that I love that either. But that's why I don't think you play big with Jeremy Grant, Sadiq Bay, and one of those guys if you pick them. So if you draft Jaden Ivey, then he slots right into an open spot in the starting lineup. And I think you can keep Jeremy Grant. I still think you probably trade him because I don't know that I want to pay the contract that Jeremy Grant allegedly or reportedly wants. And that's nothing against Jeremy Grant. Like, I just wouldn't give him that contract. Uh, no, I, I agree completely. And that's the thing, uh, probably just in sports in general, is that everyone is basically overpaid and considering that, you know, we have all these young rookies who are playing really, really well, like Cade, like Sadiq. I mean, we're going to have to start spending some money here to keep them around in a couple of years. And just, you know, what kind of, I know Jeremy's still young. He still can improve his game. You know, how much more can he improve it though? Is that really someone that you want to re-sign to a long deal and give him the money that he's going to be asking for and, and what the league will give him? And just real quick, I do think we should give Jeremy some credit because I do think he changed his play style from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And that's got to be hard. Think about Jer from Jeremy Grant's perspective. You came to Detroit because you thought you were going to be that guy and the number one option and all that stuff. And then they land Cade Cun and, and he had a good year, right? Like he had a really good first year with the Pistons. Then they land Cade Cunningham. And that all goes away. Every Cade Cunningham is the dude. He's the face of the franchise. He's the number one option. Like he got one year taste of being the guy. And then now you're asking him, Hey, go back and be the guy you've been your whole career, a role quote unquote role player. And you're doing it for a team. That's not very good. So some kudos to Jeremy Grant as well. Jeremy Grant is a really good player for the Pistons. I think that his position with or his situation with the Pistons is not as bad as everyone thinks it is. And I think that just a year of riddled injuries and trade rumors kind of deflated his name for this team. I think that Jeremy Grant is always going to be the uh, three and D um, really good player that we saw his first year. I just think that it took some, it needs to take some time to work with Cade Cunningham. And after the first year, I mean, towards the beginning of the year I mean you didn't really see much of it because Cade was playing bad in the beginning like not bad but like he was not like up to he wasn't part. efficient well, offensively yeah no that's yeah, fair he was an efficient he was an efficient offensively and then Jeremy Grant once he starts picking up his game uh Cade Cunningham starts picking up his game Jeremy Grant goes down with an injury and then by the trade deadline we're like all right are we trading Jeremy Grant Jeremy Grant ends up not being traded and then he comes back and once Cade and Jeremy started playing more and more together. I just saw this scheme where Jeremy Grant uh, was able to get a lot of open shots, like be able to have a little bit more space on his shots because Cade Cunningham was running the pick and roll and all the attention is like basically towards Cade because 
Cade Cunningham was getting double teamed, it seemed like almost every single game. And oh, yeah. that is like crazy to me because like everyone's counting out Cade Cunningham and he was getting double teamed as a rookie. And that, that's just bizarre to me. And I think that Jeremy Grant for this team, if he is going to stay long term, he's going to have to be able to work with Cade and not think that he is the number one. Um, it all comes down to team ball at the end of the day. And I think Jeremy Grant's um, archetype of being a three and D is going to be really good with the Pistons. I just just still think that we do need to pick up a wing for the draft. That's why Apollo is like my guy, because I think that he is this like complete player that is really like ready for the NBA. And I think that the Pistons could really utilize a player like that. And Jeremy Grant, it, it just seems like if he's going to stay with the Pistons, he he can't grab that big contract that he wanted um, because the Pistons are not going to be able to pay him because, I mean, like we noticed from the past, I mean, he only played one really good season with us other than the second year, which was this year. He was like on and off with injuries, but we've spent so much money in the past on players like, I mean, Reggie Jackson, Andre <laughs> Drummond, Josh Jackson, Josh Smith, Josh, Josh, Smith. Smith, Josh Smith, sorry, Josh <laughs> Smith. So, we don't want another situation where, uh, like that, where we just invest all our money into one player and it kind of collapses on us because we're not able to move um, that money that we're spending on them towards other players that are actually benefiting our team. I just think that if Jeremy Grant's going to stay in Detroit, he needs to take a little bit of a pay cut so we can start spreading some money around and get more tools and pieces for this team. And and newsflash, Danny, that's not going to happen. No, I don't think that's going to happen at all. I just don't think NBA players take pay cuts anymore. And yeah, you know, rightfully so. And, And you know if Jeremy can go and get a long-term deal and make more than the, what was he? Two years, 60 million. Was it's it? It's about, he's about, he's has a really good contract right now. It's about 20 million a year, 20 million a year. My bad. That's all it is about. Uh, that's all it's about in the NBA is just making the most amount of money. I mean, a lot of players base their decisions when they go to teams off of money. So I think that, Jeremy Grant, yes, you want to get paid, but it just seems like you're on a rebuilding team where we're still trying to figure out our players, our starter, our starting like roster. So if you want to get that bag, you can go towards like a Miami or like wherever, like a big market team or like a cha- a team that can run like make a championship run. But we barely made the play in tournaments. So I mean, well, what do you expect from us? Plan. Yeah, we didn't. Yeah. yeah, we thought that they were going to make the play in before the season even started, and they then clearly did. No. He's going to get paid. Well, Somewhere. Yeah, and the thing is, him as he's going to be a third option, fourth option, maybe in Detroit. Is is it is he worth twenty five million dollars a year to the Pistons being a third or fourth option? Probably not. I think most fans would say no. But is he worth that to a team, as, even in the same role that that may be the guy that helps put them over the top to win a championship? Now it's a completely different factor, right? Like he may be worth that amount of money in that role for a team that's competing for a championship. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if that ends up being what's happened. I think the Blazers thing is super legit. Like Damian Lillard likes him from playing in the Olympics. I think that stuff more than ever matters. Like these guys form relationships and friendships. You guys have played, you enjoy playing basketball or whatever sport with your buddies or someone you make a connection with than compared to someone that you don't. And then I think it made a lot of sense for the Blazers to wait till the off season to make that trade because they're trying, they went full tank mode also here in the, in the last part of the season. So I think there's a lot of truth to the Jeremy Grant to the Blazers. So let me get your opinion on this. Obviously, an, another guy who I, I really feel like this just this Pistons team as a whole really started out slow. And I'm talking individually. Another guy that started out slow, Sadiq Bay. I mean, yep. 
we were sitting here thinking, oh no, he had a really good rookie season. And it was, you know, about 25 games of just flat out ugly basketball from Sadiq. <laughs> and he has done nothing short of a complete 180. He found the white headband. He dyed a little green in his the green, the Joker. I just watched one of the Joker movies last night. I thought I can't help but think. Sadiq Bay. anytime I hear someone bring up the Joker. Absolutely. And he's just been lights out ever since. You know, he, we, we got a 50-point game in Orlando. Uh, unfortunately, his huge three-point streak came to an end last night due to him playing like six minutes. But, hey. That was the most disappointing part of all of that. Like, I didn't really care that Cade didn't play and his averages and stuff. That that really did kind of stink for Sadiq Bay, the three-point streak. Yeah, I, I think it, it could kind of speak to his character. You know what I mean? I mean, he's willing to give up his streak for the tank. And that's it, it's worth it. It's going to be worth it in the long run. My question for you, and we just got done talking about Jeremy Grant. Does he fit on this team? Does he not? Are we going to trade him? Are we not? How much, if we were to trade Jeremy Grant, do you think that Sadiq Bey could just slot into that role immediately and maybe be even better than Grant was? Because I know they they sort of have similar gains. I, I think uh, I think Jeremy's a lot, not a lot better, but better on defense than Sadiq. I, I but they're both very, very good shooters, very talented do you think that Sadiq could slot into that role and be better than Jeremy Grant? Be the same as Jeremy Grant? Where where do you stand on that? Yeah, I can see that. I I do think that Jeremy Grant probably on ball is better than Sadiq Bay. Sadiq Bay defensively is pretty good off the ball, and I would say that I have a lot more confidence in Sadiq Bay being a better rebounder than Jeremy Grant. I've been very critical of Jeremy Grant's rebounding in his time with the Pistons. I think Sadiq Bay has the potential to be a really good rebounder, probably a better shooter. I, I think people would would buy into the Sadiq Bay being a better just catch and shoot shooter. And so I'm really high on Sadiq Bey. What I've said is I think there's two, I mean, they're probably not guarantees, but there's two guys who I think I feel very confident saying are going to be starters for the Pistons pretty long-term. One obviously is Cade Cunningham, but the other is Sadiq Bey. I'm all in on that. I'm not saying you may not have to package him down the road to like bring in a second superstar. Maybe the Pistons find themselves in that situation, but I feel pretty confident Sadiq Bey is going to be here for a while and be a really good starter for this team. So Bryce, one of the comparisons I made very, very early on in Sadiq's career, I actually made it with a fellow network member, Matt Issa and good friend. I compared Sadiq Bay to Clay Thompson. I think the shooting is there. I think the defense is there. While Clay is better at those two avenues of the game than Sadiq is right now, I think there is enough time because, you know, Sadiq is just ending his sophomore year right now. There's a lot of time for him to grow into that role and become better at those just like Clay did. I mean, Clay was a late bloomer too. He was, he was good, but you know, he continued to get better. Just tell me I'm not crazy on that, please. Um, I don't love it, but oh, I don't either. First, first shout out, Matt Issa, good friend, a guy I've got to know really well from his quest for the best and all that stuff, but, but great dude. So shout out to Matt. Um, I can see where you're coming from. Here's where I like the comparison a little better is the role. Like if that, if you're talking, here's my, like, I just hold clay in super high regard as a shooter. I think it's really easy to, or people are, are making it easier to be like, oh, he's going to be the next Clay Thompson. I've heard that about two guys in this draft class, guys. Jabari Smith Jr., I've heard the Jabari Smith Jr. is a taller Clay Thompson. And then Adrian Griffin Jr., the kid out of Duke, I've heard the same thing. And I'm just like, Clay Thompson is an unreal shooter. Probably, what, top 10 in NBA history as a shooter? Boy. I just have... 
I just have a hard time doing that. And he was really good defensively pre-injury. So if, is he a Clay Thompson light? Maybe. Um, but I, I do think Sadiq Bay is going to be really good. I do. I believe in the shooting uh, and the offensive game continues to develop other little things. I don't think he's great on ball on the perimeter right now. That would probably, I probably have more issue with that. Honestly, Danny, or sorry, Mitch is, I just don't think he guards perimeter players that great right now. He's still just in his second year, yeah. but that's definitely an area of improvement for him. Yeah, I agree. I think that Clay Thompson's name shouldn't be thrown everywhere. I think that his name is very, very fragile when it comes to comparing players to him because of what he's done in the in the playoffs and what he's done in game sixes all across the board. Um, he was able to knock down shots. He was able to open up. And I see the comparison to with Sadiq Bey because he's able to get the open shots and knock them down. And he he's more of a spot-up shooter-based kind of player. Um, his defense on the perimeter, like you were talking, Talking about before is not up to par already because I, I think that he's a little bit more heavier when it comes to swifting left and right. Like you know what I'm saying on the perimeter. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying sure. to go yep. yeah. 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 And and compared to Clay, Clay is able to move his body. Well, pre-injury was able to move his body so well, and he was able to get himself open and just run around the entire court. I don't see Sadiq doing too much of that. He is able to run around the screens and stuff, but he his off ball is not the same as Clay's. Um, but he can if he does work at his game. I think that the Clay Thompson uh, comparison is not as crazy as we both think it is right now because eventually the Pistons will be making the playoffs and we'll see. And he'll get his opportunity to make his shots. And if he does make his shots and he's able to guard the perimeter really well, um, I think that he could um, get to that level. But the Pistons need to win a championship before I could even compare him, hit their first championship at least, before I even compare him to Clay Thompson. First, cha- first championship with this. They're going to win multiple ca- championships with Kate. I've made that prediction on Twitter. I said I, I multiple championships with Kate. There's no doubt about it. But the thing is that everybody around him has to work. And I think that Sadiq Bay is going to be a number two, number three guy on the team. He just needs to work on his jump shots, getting uh, open a little bit more often than he does. I was just going to say, Danny brings up a good point. I don't think Sadiq's as good as Clay was, like movement threes and stuff like that. Now, what, what Sadiq's gotten good at is like catch and he'll like jab step you. He had a really pretty one in that magic game where he scored 51, where he actually went like reverse between the legs with no dribble. Like he jabbed, reverse between the legs, no dribble, and knocked it down. He's gotten really comfortable with that jab step. Just in terms of the role, though, I can see what you're talking about. But Sadiq has a lot of room to improve still. So uh, hopefully he continues to climb. I think he's probably a number three guy. I don't see the number two option on like a championship team, but, but who am I to say that a guy in his second year in the NBA won't get there? I see him as that number two role because just because of his archetype, he's a spot up shooter. And I think shooting guards, the main thing that you should like that they are is a three and D kind of player. And um, I think that Sadiq is really good at that. It's just, he needs to be a little bit more energetic on defense and be using his like length and body in order to like be in like the defender's face and get in front of the ball. My flag is planted on Sadiq. He's the next Clay Thompson. I won't shy away from it. It's going to happen. I'm, I'm going to LeVar Ball this. I will speak. Oh. I, made the, I made the comparison last episode. I see him. I could see him as like the next, next Chris Middleton. Like, okay. I like when that it one. comes to terms of like comparing him to like a more realistic player. I think that Chris Middleton is a really good player to compare him to. All right. I, I've, I've heard that one a little bit as well. 
All right, let's get to the guy, the man himself, the man who has honestly the entire city of Detroit owes his chiropractor bill because he has just put this team on his back and carried us to playing very, very well uh, down the stretch. Cade Cunningham obviously comes into the league. He's got that ankle injury. I feel like the narrative was written on Cade's rookie year very, very early this season because not only was he injured to start the year, but when he came back, it took a while, you know, and by a while that was a little over, over exaggerated by a while, let's say two, two and a half, three weeks. I mean, yeah, the shooting was rough. And the turnovers have, yeah, they've kind of been an issue. But nevertheless, I do feel like the narrative was written on Cade that he was a, and I cannot believe that some people were saying this because, you know, make no mistake, no Pistons person was saying this, but some people were saying he was a quote unquote bust, which is absolutely ridiculous. What an idiot. Right. Yeah, absolutely. If you say that, you're you're an idiot. But Cade's been playing insanely well as of late. Of course, what was that? Two. Yeah. Thursday night. He dropped. What was it? 34. Tied his career high, I believe. against 29 in the second half. Yep. 29 in the second half. I think we know at this point, you know, if you're if you're a person that watches the Pistons on a regular basis, I think we know that Cade is the guy. I, I don't think that's like a controversial take at all. I think we know he's going to be a perennial all-star, but I think with how well that he has played as of late, my question for you is, is this a guy that could potentially be playing for an MVP award in, the, in a couple of years? Yeah. I mean, I think he has some peak years of that. I, I feel pretty confident saying he's going to spend a lot of years as a top 10 guy in the league. I don't know. Like I have a hard time projecting. He's going to be like the number one player in the league for a few years, but is it crazy? What, what, what have we seen that makes you say that he can't? That's exactly. what I would, that's what I would ask somebody in return from his rookie season, it, the inefficient scoring. Like, I think that's what people are going to say. If, if he's scoring 27, eight and eight, like if he's putting up Luka Doncic numbers, nobody's going to care about the turnovers because nobody cares about Luka Doncic's turnovers. So that's going to be okay. I do think he has some bad ones, some careless ones that I think he'll fix. So, and to go back to what you brought up, it is crazy that people were calling him a bust. I had to write an article. I went back and found it before we recorded today, two games into the season. And the headline of the article had to be Cade Cunningham is going to be dot, 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 dot just fine. Like people literally were calling him. It sounds crazy now, but people really were. And I had to go through all the things about all the other intangibles. And this is what I love about Cade Cunningham. All the other stuff he does, he does defend, he rebounds, he gets like the scoring and the assists, all that. But then it's off the floor. He signs autographs. He communicates. He does all the things. He stood up for the entire game against the Thunder and cheered on his teammates. Maybe some people don't value that stuff as a coach and a former college basketball player. I know how important that stuff is, and I value it a lot. And he's the all around total package. Yeah, I've seen him being double teamed throughout the season, like I explained before, and he was not doing so good in October. And then he started picking up in November and then he is started just putting up amazing stat lines. I mean, through 59 career games, I mean, this is as of like March 29th. These are his stats. I mean, over a thousand points on the season. And then he has 338 rebounds and 328 assists. I mean, he joined Michael Jordan as the only rookie in NBA history with a stat line of at least 34 points, eight rebounds. 
rebounds, eight assists, and four steals. Joined Isaiah Thomas as the only Piston or Pistons rookie in the last 50 years to record a game with at least 25 points, five rebounds, 10 assists. I mean, compared to the other rookies in the NBA, he has seven triple doubles or games with 25, five, and five, and all the rookies combined. There's only seven games. So basically he just, he's just a guy that is just amazing. He's got two triple doubles within the year. And then I just think that Cade Cunningham is one of those players, like I said, is going to bring us multiple championships. I think that Cade Cunningham, if the ball is in his hands, then I'm at ease. That yeah. Honestly, I'm at ease. Whatever play he's going like that he's drawing up, I think that when it comes to the pick and roll, he's able to run it really well. If he drives to the rim and he's oversized, I think he's able to be a slither slitherly finisher sorry um around the rim he's able to make his layups he he's dunked so many times we've seen him yeah. posterize so many players he's in and yet again compared to mobley and i'm going to bring up this point one more time compared to scotty barnes and mobley and whatever rookie this class rookie that is in this class he is the only one that's getting double teamed and it just seems like he is the best basketball player out of all the rookies for this class i think that he is deserving of the rookie of the year and to go along with that like bryce said to stand up for an entire game like cheering on your team just that like Team chemistry value, like you say, man, it is so much more important than you think. I think that's almost my favorite thing about him, honestly, is that he is amazing on court. And I think it's clear. I mean, the guy plays like he's been in the league for three, four years. Yeah, he's already. got all the stats and it, to it, go along with it. It's the off court things for me. Yeah. I mean, the head the 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 head on this guy's shoulders is just I mean, he's he's so mature and he, there's literally not I can't remember a single thing that he's ever said in an interview anything he's ever done on the court that has ever rubbed me the wrong way. I mean, I think that he is almost a better leader than he is a basketball player. Yeah. yeah the maturity. Go ahead, Danny. Yeah. I was just about to say, I mean, through 59 games, he's the only um, player other than LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Mac, Michael <laughs> magic Johnson, Luka Donage and Oscar Robinson to record at least 1000 points, 320 rebounds and 320 assists through 59 games. So he's in high company with those kind of stats. I mean, he's putting up amazing stats for this team. We've never seen a Pistons player being able to do this since what Chauncey Billups, since Isaiah I, Thomas. I don't Grant Hill, honestly. I mean, Grant Hill was an amazing rookie, and then injuries just de completely derailed his career. Right. So we haven't seen this in years, at least, I should say. I mean, since the 2008, since we actually made a good run in the playoffs, since we went to the Eastern Conference. I mean, ever since then, we haven't seen a player put up, like, consistent, good stat lines. I mean, we've seen Andre Drummond a little bit, Blake, Blake Griffin for the year, but, like, we're not going to see those stat lines consistently year in and year out like we're going to see with Cade. Um, he's just got to stay healthy. Yeah. And that's, I think the biggest thing for me is the maturity, like the ability to handle this as a rookie, because nobody else is being tasked with this. Like if I wanted to really, really make an argument and I don't really care about the rookie of the year award for Cade, I do think he should win it. But if I had none of those other guys became the instant face of their franchise when they got drafted, none of them got put as the best player on their team and had to handle everything on and off the court that comes with it into Danny's part. Then the experiences that he's having as a rookie, I love that he's getting double teamed and having to learn about how to play through that in his rookie season. We've seen him get teammates involved. We've seen him be a volume scorer in games. He's had to do it all as a rookie, and he's the type of player that's going to take all of it in, learn from it, and come back better. I, I do want to make this point. I do think he needs a second star. 
I, I think for this team to truly win a championship, he's not LeBron James. You know, like when he led that Cavs team, how many ever years ago that was that you, you can't even name anybody else on that team where it was LeBron James is truly the only star on that team. And he led him to a, a NBA finals. I don't think Kate is that kind of like just uh, generational talent. And, it, and I don't know that anybody in the NBA can do it without a second star anymore, but that's that's priority number one for the Pistons now is who is the second star that you put next to Cade Cunningham? We got, we got Sadiq Bay. What you mean? Off-brand Clay Thompson. Let's go. <laughs> I think one of my favorite things about Cade is the way he plays in the clutch also. He has the most yes. uh, points in the clutch among all rookies. I mean, he has 67 points in the clutch compared to Franz Wagner, who has 56, who's the next person after Cade. And then you have what? Evan Mobley with 56, 48 for Scotty Barnes. So he is in the fourth quarter. I think that's the most important thing, too, is how he plays in the clutch and how he runs the team because a lot of players – fall under pressure in the clutch. And I think that we've seen enough uh, during the regular season, at least, of Cade where he is able to compose himself and run and orchestrate this offense and be able to stay within the game, even in his rookie season. So you just brought up there, you don't think Cade is going to be able to do it with a second star. Now, what I'm going to ask you, do you think that second star is going to come in this in this upcoming draft? And if if it is, who who's it going to be? Who's Who's the Bryce Simon pick right now? So if I had to put my money on, if that's all you're drafting for is, and, and the Pistons have the number one pick, and you tell me we need to draft the star, the guy that has the best chance, chance to be that second guy, it's Paulo Bancaro out of Duke for me. And, and my mind's probably changed on this a little bit. I love Jabari Smith Jr. I think he's really, really, really good. And he's a really good shooter. If it all translates, it's probably is elite shooting in the NBA at 6'10", and he defends. But Paulo Bencaro, he can run as a ball handler in a ball screen. He can be the screener. If the three-point shot comes around, he is a problem at 6'10", 250. I think the defensive issues are a little overblown with Paulo. He's not going to protect the rim, but he's not like a super negative. I think he gives you the highest upside to be that true number two star. Okay, I like it. I'm still, I still lean Jabari. I wasn't a huge, I'll, I'll admit though, and I don't watch a ton of college basketball outside of the Big Ten because, uh, you know, we live in Big Ten country here in Michigan. Absolutely. But I will admit that, Jab or not sorry, not Jabari, Paulo has very much grown on me as I've watched Duke a lot in the tournament. I think I think one of the biggest things is, is the body. You mentioned 6'10", 250. He will have to, do, have to do absolutely no work physically, and he is going to fit right into the NBA level of physicality. And, of course, you mentioned uh, what he does with the ball in his hands, and he's a bruiser, too. I think that's really, you know, I mean, like we, like we said, we like Marvin Bagley. We like Isaiah Stewart. But we need more of a big, bruising uh, someone in the front court. So I do think that Paolo would fit very, very, very well on this team. What I like about Paolo is you could ISO him in the mid post and he can go get a bucket. Again, you can use him as a secondary playmaker. He grew up playing guard, so he has all those skills and the vision. And I'm, I'm with you. I don't get a chance to catch a lot of college basketball throughout the season because I'm following the Pistons religiously, and then I coach my own high school team. So I do put a lot of stock into March Madness just because I finally get to watch these guys for full games. And the biggest knock offensively for Paolo is the three-point shot. 
again, like you were asking with, I think you were talking about it with Stu, right? You were throwing out the 33. Like if yep. Paulo's a 35, 30, even 35% three-point shooter, he he's a guy that's going to go get you 20 plus a night. Maybe not as a rookie. I'm not saying as a rookie, but like consistently throughout his career. The offensive skill set is really, really good. And defensively, he's going to be fine. And then finally, as as we get to our last segment here, I think, you know, we talked about this. It's clear that us Pistons fans overestimated how good this team would be. We thought that we would win a lot more than we have this season. Assuming that we do hit on this draft pick coming up, you know, whether it be Paulo, Jabari, Chet, Jay Nivey, whoever it is that we end up picking, is next year finally the year that we can realistically expect this team to make a big jump record-wise and, and maybe win north of 35 games? As it sits right now, I think as Pistons fans, it's okay to have those aspirations to get in the playing game. But I think what it comes down to is what plan Troy Weaver goes into the offseason with. There's possibly upwards of $30 million in cap space. Does he go sign an established NBA veteran to add to the starting lineup. Where do they fall in the draft lottery? If that's where he goes and you keep Jeremy Grant, you could have a pretty experienced team that is in that, in, in that uh, mold to go uh, compete for the play-in. There's also another path. What if you trade Jeremy Grant? for that Pelicans lottery pick from the Blazers. And let's say you end up drafting Ben Matherin with that and Paulo with the Pistons pick. You could have a starting lineup of Kate Cunningham, Benedict Matherin, Sadiq Bey, Paulo Bencaro, Isaiah Stewart. Here's the thing about that, though. I love it. I love it. Here's the thing, though. There's not a ton of veterans. There's no veterans on that team. You're starting two rookies, a second-year player, and two third-year players. Are you expecting them to make it to the play-in? Like the talent is there, but I don't know. So it kind of depends on where, what path the Pistons take. No, I, I, yeah, I think that's fair. I think, oh gosh, you should make me so happy thinking of that scenario. I love me some Benedict Matherin out of Arizona. I, I, I like him a lot. Oh yeah, absolutely. Do you think that, so like, do you think, cause I, like we mentioned how much, how good of a head Cade has on his shoulders and, and how mature he is. Do you think that, that he would be able to will that team to a, a plan or a playoff um, appearance, just considering how, how mature he is and how he plays, you know, years ahead of where he is. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I do. I'm not saying that that team doesn't still have a chance to make a run to 30 plus wins, you know, you know, borderline. I'm just saying, if you go down that path, I think you're on a longer term trajectory. Then let's say this one of you sign Jalen Brunson, you keep Jeremy Grant and you bring the, the draft pick off the bench. Now that team is probably more built to win next season and get into a playoff into a playing game. You know what I'm saying? So I think those two different paths, I don't know what Troy Weaver is going to do. I have no idea what the Pistons are thinking, but you could end up with two very different teams depending on where their mindset is. Yeah, we definitely need an all-star on this team in order to make this work. I think that uh, the Pistons future relies a lot on the on the draft and what position we get. I think that Apollo is also a good pick. Um, like I looked at the Duke players in the last, um, since 2016, all the Duke players that went um, 
like top five. One of them was RJ Barrett. One of them was Zion. One of them was Marvin Bagley. And then the last one in 2016 was Brandon Ingram. So I think that moving with a player like Paulo, adding him to this team, I think that we do have some little bit of hope going into next season because Tatum too. Yeah. Tatum. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that he's coming out of Duke and he is also coached under coach K and how many players have we seen go in the first round coming out of Duke and they have a good or they have a good like career in the NBA. I mean, I'm not saying that like players like Grayson Allen or like, or maybe like, like a random player, like Wendell Carter jr. Is like having like an amazing all-star season, but there are like decent role players that are on, on teams that are, they just play like a contributor contribution to the team where they're putting them in a winning spot because they're doing their part. I think that the basketball IQ coming out of Duke is like very extremely, extremely high. I think that um, the Pistons just need to focus on getting an all-star though, picking up somebody like somebody in the off season. We need to have a little bit of better of a rotation because it just seems like we have like a bunch of like young guys. We have a couple of like veterans like um, Olenek, but so do we trade Jeremy Grant in this offseason? I mean, that's a good question. Do we package him and go for someone bigger? Yeah. I mean, I would say why not? Because he is playing the power forward position at the end of the if day. We're, if we're going to pick up an all-star, you know, we got to give up something. Exactly. And I think that what the point that we made at the beginning of the episode where Marvin Bagley and Isaiah Stewart are not long-term for the Pistons, I don't think so either because we do need to grab a center that actually, um, and I'm not saying that they can't be like Pistons, future Pistons, and they, they're not going to develop into players that are going to be long-term. But I just think that the um, the odds of them being Pistons players for a very long time just is like really depends on how they build this team. And I think that picking up a center picking up a big player or a big, um, big man does really help us. And I don't want to pick up Chet either from um, Zag because I don't think that he is a player that we should put on this team because we are defensive based. We don't need another unicorn Porzingis. I think that he's a piece of glass that can break. I think we need a big, like a big man, like somebody like we need a big boy. We need a big man, like somebody like Mitchell Robinson or like Brooke Lopez, somebody that with that's like above seven feet and that can guard the paint very well go ahead Bryce you had something to say I was just gonna say one I do like the sign and trade idea that Keaton brought up for Jeremy Grant if you don't like the end of the lottery where that pick may come from the Blazers via the Pelicans I don't hate the idea of using Jeremy Grant in a sign and trade with somebody else Um, again I always bring up Jalen Brunson just because that's a name that continues to get brought up but that's a chance and then talking about guys you like then Danny Jalen Duran out of Memphis is a big that you know not if the Pistons end up in the top five but maybe if they land a second lottery pick or if they if the ping pong balls don't bounce right and then the other one actually another duke guy is mark williams he's kind of flown up from like the middle of the first round to the end of the lottery so again if the pistons end up with the second lottery pick mark williams a seven footer lob catcher shot blocker those type of things there are some bigs in this class that fit the mold you're talking about all right. Beautiful, beautiful episode. I think gosh, the future is so bright here. It's so bright and it's so fun to do an episode fun. where we're talking about how good these players are going to be. And we're not talking about uh, what are the Pistons going to do to not suck anymore? It, it's just so, so refreshing. So Bryce, thank you very, very much for joining us again. He is Bryce Simon at Motor City Hoops on Twitter, and he is the host of the Pistons Pulse podcast. Bryce, you want to tell the people where you can find your stuff at? 
Yeah, so DetroitBadBoys.com. I write articles. The podcast is on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, the Freep website. If you go check that, you can find the podcast there. And then, yeah, follow on Motor City Hoops on Twitter, at Motor City Hoops on Twitter. Guys, I always have a blast. This is two for two, and I'm I'm game to come back anytime talking Pistons. And you're right. The, the greatest thing about this right now is this is fun. It's an exciting time. It's the best time to be a Pistons fan, other than when they were winning championships, of course. But it's an exciting time to be a Pistons fan. Absolutely, man. Thank you for coming on. It's been another edition of the Guys Being Dudes podcast, Rise Network's exclusive Detroit sports show. Follow us on Twitter at GuysBeingDudes15, at GBD Podcast 2021 on Instagram, and then Rise. All Rise socials are at Rise Network US, and the website is www.riseNetworkUS.com. We'll see you guys next week. Yep. Hasta luego. Hasta luego. Swipe up. Swipe up. Again. (laughs) (laughs) See you guys. Peace.